The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Thomas Senro, and you're listening to The Secrets of Classic Science Fiction, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this genre of movies. Joining me today on the panel are Dom Bettinelli. Hi, Dom. Hi, Thomas. And David Hanlos. Hi, David. Hello. All right. So this is a good crew. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, you can follow The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows in uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or YouTube. Make sure to hit the bell on YouTube to get notifications. And we'd also like to, before we start, mention one of the other shows that if you are interested in this classic sci-fi kind of realm, uh, would definitely be interesting to you. So, Dom, if you could. Yeah. If you're interested in, in classic sci-fi movies and mysteries and all that sort of stuff, you need to check out Jimmy Eakin's Mysterious World. Jimmy and I cover all kinds of mysteries, natural, supernatural, from a faith and reason perspective. Uh, we are all over the place with this, and you would definitely need to check it out. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, the premise for the show is kind of presented as pre-Star Wars sci-fi. And I just wanted to bring that up because, um, you know, Star Wars changed literally everything, not only about the science fiction genre, but about the way that movies are made. Um, so, you know, almost every blockbuster since has been a sci-fi movie of some type, I would hazard, especially the modern day with like the Marvel movies that are coming out. So we almost take it for granted now that a movie is going to have a lot of futuristic special effects if it's going to be a summer blockbuster. You know, and that goes all the way back to like, you know, I remember growing up seeing Independence Day and uh, movies like that that were definitely inspired by Star Wars. So how about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think back to just, you know, whenever like even movies like The Lord of the Rings, which is not science fiction it's still sort of inspired by the grand spectacle and effects driven, you know, grand epic movie of that sort. You know, it, it's, it's mm -hmm. still, and you're right. Star Wars changed everything about just not, you're not even just science fiction, but the movie business in general, you can really look at it and go, this was everything before Star Wars. And this is everything <laughs> yep. after it's really wild. Yeah, it, it really brought, um, uh, I think it was before we actually hit record, but, um, Star Wars is what you call a space opera. And this and before then, uh, before then, they'd have, uh, you know, there weren't overarching stories that were told across movies. There was a sequel, which was just another, you know, another movie, another um, adventure. To, yeah, another adventure. Right, yeah. Um, and to, to just there, there could be some kind of serialized thing, but there wasn't one grand story. It was just different, you know. Different different things that could be told out of order for all you care, right? It just involved the same guys, yeah, yeah. And that's outside of even science fiction movies. That's like everything. You, know, you think about James Bond, uh, mm -hmm. pre Star Wars, it was just just James Bond, no big deal. And even now, James Bond is like you have to watch a few of them in order to make sure that you know what's going on in each in each one, right? You if you so watch the last Daniel Craig, you won't. It references stuff from the first Daniel Craig movie from over a mm -hmm. decade ago. And you won't know what's going on if you haven't watched it. So, yeah, that idea of the serialized story over movies. Yeah, that's that's also a, sort of a something from Star Wars that it did to us. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that one. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, so I think I think to to kind of start off pre pre Star Wars uh, science fiction was very genre. It was like it had a very specific feel to it, and that's kind of where I want to break these up because it's a lot of room to call it cover. But I want to <laughs> talk about kind of the general sense of what was going on, and uh, definitely mention stuff that you, there's there's a few movies in here that I hadn't heard of, and a couple of movies that um, I haven't seen, even though I should. Um, <laughs> So and I know I'm going to get ripped for that when the, when the time comes. But I figure that we're all kind of on the same page with that, that yes. we have a breadth of experience that's that's really good. And so that's where this list came from was all of our minds uh, kind of placing stuff into here. Uh, but to, to split it up into the categories, what I really wanted to talk about was sort of the the feel of the movies that you could kind of split them up into different groups so there were these movies that were about external unknowns things that were from somewhere else that invaded and we felt a fear about them as humans and that's how they made it into a movie and then there were these other things that were industrial accidents so nuclear waste or um, electricity gone wild and it created something that we couldn't control and then um, there were also evolutionary fears which is slightly different because it was uh, things that would evolve into something else. So the world was changing around us and we weren't keeping up somehow. And uh, that was that was scary to us. And I think it made really interesting cinema because of that. And that's not even to start talking about the tech that went beyond our control, which was another really good uh, place that a lot of these stories came from. And then as we were talking about it, we couldn't uh, not mention the uh, monster horrid horror, monster horror or cryptid uh, genre of movie because uh, it's very different from the gothic horror uh, which is you know its own kind of thing Dracula and Frankenstein and Frankenstein's weird because it kind of splits the difference between the yeah. two right where it's <laughs> science fiction but at the same time it's got that very gothic feel to it and I, at least the one we mentioned here is uh, very different and it and it, it and it feels good uh, to kind of have it as a science fiction movie yeah some people say that Frankenstein is the first science fiction novel which Mm -hmm. I I would grant I I think that's a, that's a a good a, you know you could do that, but I don't know that I would say that the movie fits in this science fiction what we're talking about it, I, right. right and and it, it could be disputed I kind of brought up the whole monster horror slash cryptid uh, category and I I recognize that it could be disputed whether that's actually a sci fi category but you know if you go look up some of these things they're in you know they're they're creatures and monsters that are clearly I don't know they're uh, they feel science fiction to me, so I kind of, I yeah. kind of wanted to call them that. Yeah, no, I like that, and it, it it almost fits that external unknowns, but doesn't quite. So I, I like mm -hmm. it being its own category too. Yeah. So that's 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 really good. So I, speaking of the external unknowns, I'd kind of like to start there because I think we got the mother of all. Oh, go ahead. Before we get to, uh, can we kind of define the eras? Like, I want to kind of a little bit, if we can, oh, talk a little yep. bit about the yeah, times, yeah. because like, so we nineteen seventy seven is when Star Wars came out. And so that's the one that's where we kind of as our end point. But would you say the beginning point is like, say, like 1950, like post World War Two? I would say yes. And, and now David threw it because right beforehand, he, he <laughs> dropped one on us. That's from the 30s, which is right. which is good. And we, we definitely need to reference. And, and I think we need to start with the 50s because that's the golden age of science fiction. It's the time where comic books started appearing. It's the time where these movies really were able to do stuff. With special effects that we recognize today as special effects. Yep. Uh, whereas previous to that, it would have been silent movies or the movie would have been so 
kind of cut up that it was hard to to recognize special effects in it. It was like they had to cheat the special effects in in really weird ways. And it right. didn't feel right in some cases. So, yeah, I think that the 50s is kind of the earliest spot we're, we're talking about, except for with one uh, with one case. And we'll we'll get that. We'll mention that one specially. But yeah. And, and then it goes all the way up to the 70s. So it almost butts right up against Star Wars. But then you really do see this huge shift where there stopped being movies quite like this yeah. for about a decade, maybe two. And then we'll, we'll close out with talking about some of the newer stuff that's come out that's still in this classic sci-fi range. Uh, so if, if you're looking for new stuff, too, uh, we're going to we're going to get there eventually. So don't worry about that. Good. Good. But, awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, so to, to start off, I, I want to go back to the one that I think if you even if you've never seen it, I think everybody knows this one. And it's The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is a 1951 uh, black and white uh, science fiction movie. And it's just weird. It has nothing to do with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> right. It must be said. Right. And so, and so I... Um, to to start off with this one, this one's black and white. So the special effects are very limited, but they're they're kind of that that's uh cinema trope, I think is what they called it, where they would uh you know kind of blur the blur the film by like just shining an extra light on it and it would cause the lasers to appear. Uh and, and so that's that's what passes for special effects. And then the thing that shows up is this robot that has come from outer space to kind of warn us about an impending doom. And we, of course, as humans just proceed to try and destroy it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) shoot everything we can at it and nothing, nothing helps. But the robot itself is very obviously a man in a cardboard outfit that's been painted silver so that it looks very interesting on the black and white screen. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about like how it's the, you know, the, the uh, unknowns. I mean, this is right around the time. Again, this came out in 1951. This is around the time when they start. We started to get UFO reports around. Mm-hmm. We talked about Jimmy Akin's mm-hmm. Mysterious World, and we talked about this on that uh, podcast when people started seeing UFOs. And whether it was the movies influencing people or the people influencing the movies, it might have been a little of both. And so, this idea of visitation from other worlds. This is when it started that the, the people started to think about that in a in a realistic sense, uh, you know, previously we had future aliens, you know, like future earth interacting with future aliens, but this is aliens coming to us now. And what's their motivation? Why are they coming here? What could they possibly want from us if they could travel between worlds and we can't. So their motivations must be, uh, you know, well, they say they're here to help us like in this one, but, they also have weapons that can utterly conquer us without a second thought. And, right. and it's fascinating culturally thinking how that, that expresses a fear that people had about, you know, these external threats. And that's also around the time of the rise of the cold war and, and, and that as well. And these external threats that people were experiencing. Right. And, and um, I, I love, I love this movie too, because I think it fits in such a weird place because it came out in 51, which is actually really early for even golden age uh, science fiction. Well, that's when the, you know, the atomic age just you know, the concept of a ton, you know, we have this whole new thing and the world is different now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and this was a, a way of dealing with it because I think 
we were starting to see in ourselves a tendency towards destruction and realizing that that was going to end poorly. Right. And so even before the Cold War, even before, you know, all of that, we, we, we recognized that there was a danger in the just wanton destruction that we were willing to commit to in order to be right or to defend ourselves or, you know, to stop a threat from invading. And so uh, it's interesting because, you know, and it's always interesting watching these things, too, when you're born three decades after they come out, because I read Childhood's End, which is an Arthur Clarke book that's very similar. Um, But that book didn't come out until two years after this movie. So, you know, contextually, it's kind of like it would have been all happening at the same time, like everybody's minds were kind of going the same direction uh with this uh invading force that wanted to bring us peace and saw that we were willing to destroy ourselves there's actually a, a plot element which is that the reason the aliens came is because they saw we had developed rockets and atomic weapons and mm-hmm. that was now that we had that power uh, i mean it's in fact that that's part of it if you know we notice this you have the power to kill yourselves to destroy your your entire planet and so we've come to help you with that and that's the thing is, is we were facing as humanity facing for the first time an existential threat like wars were bad as World War Two was. But mm-hmm. the idea of a war that could destroy everyone was a very mm-hmm. new thing. And you could see it playing out in our in our pop culture like this movie. Right. And and I think it's really interesting. Um, th- this one's the we have modern movies that kind of split the line between this one and the one we're gonna we're gonna talk about next, which is War of the Worlds. Yep. And the invading force is not there to bring us peace, but to uh to destroy us, to claim our land and to be the conqueror and 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 move in and, and take everything that is ours. Um and so you know uh, Independence Day fits much more with this this one, right? With the War of the World world's, world's concept, <laughs> right? Where the aliens invade, their interest is in harvesting us and in taking over the Earth rather than in simply uh, bringing us peace from the stars. So a much darker version of this external unknown, <laughs> right? That comes in, and this came out um, only two years later, so it's really not. Uh, not very far off from the day the earth stood still. Uh, but it was, it, it existed in forms before this too, because it's an HG Wells story uh, and it had been played on the, on the radio very dramatically uh, <laughs> with, uh, without people knowing that it was real and played to the point where it was uh, kind of like it was newscasters actually casting the news of this thing happening. And man, I would have loved to have <laughs> experienced that because, I mean, you know, obviously it would have been terrifying, but it's so interesting to live in an age where there's not enough skepticism about the radio and the media to oh, immediately cast yeah. that out. <laughs> that's a really good point because true. there was there was not that skepticism where like if people heard it on the radio, it must be true. Like they did when in the broadcast when um what is his name? The famous um uh, HG no, no no Orson Welles. Orson Welles, right. Wells. I knew Orson, not HG Wells. <laughs> Orson Welles. Yeah, HG Wells wrote the novel. Orson Welles did the radio broadcast. And he was trusted. And and when they did the broadcast, that they started by saying this is a radio play by H.G. Wells, you know, original based on H.G. Wells' story. But people tuned in afterward, and so mm-hmm. they heard they didn't hear that part. 
and it wasn't like today where you could, it's like a podcast. You, you picked up where it started, where you, where you came in and it's like, yeah, just that idea that people would be so invested. Like if you heard it on the radio, it must be true. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Just the, the, the innocence of that time <laughs> is uh, fascinating. Well, and the, the limited, the limited number of channels that you had to be able to listen to where you wouldn't have been able to just switch over to another channel and go, oh, okay, well, that's obviously right. <laughs> that's obviously not because this channel's not reporting on it. Right. Sometimes there was just the channel. The, ch- yeah. <laughs> the, the radio. <laughs> but the movie itself, I remember seeing this as a kid and being astounded at it. This mm-hmm. is, a, I mean, even for 1953, it was very scary for a kid. Right. And and I think the the brilliance of this movie is that most of the stuff is left off screen. Yes. And that's that's the way a lot of these early sci-fis played it where they would uh let the action happen off screen and then had actors that were good enough to just react to something in a way that made you feel what was happening. Right. And the design of the various props like the the ships were not typical saucers they were that weird mm-hmm. almost like a manta ray thing with that cobra like head coming out and like it, you know snakes people are afraid of snakes and it just evoked the idea of a snake and the weird creepy arm and all you saw was the arm of the alien reaching out right. you know <laughs> and, and that's all you needed to see it's scary you know i mean it's, it's <laughs> awesome uh but yeah it's just such a great um but also a great story of people. And again, I think, again, it evoked the Cold War fears, that idea of right. of being invaded, of a war that could destroy all. Um, I, rem- I, am, I have a very vivid memory of the people gathered in the church praying in this mm-hmm. one. I mean, yeah. that was such a vivid scene. Um, yeah, this is a great movie. And and the light was the light. The way they played with light was so interesting oh, because yeah. they did so many different colors of light. And it's it's you could really tell that it was someone who had thought about uh, bringing war and and that sense of terror to just a very common place like the middle of a city uh, where people were living. And and it played out really well. It, yeah, it, it did its job. You know, it, it made you feel that fear of of being invaded. and. I, for all the special effects that we can put in things today, sometimes it's just that simple stuff that right. Less that is more. Allows you to immerse yourself. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, less is more. I think that th- I always say constraint is is always the brainchild of of genius. It's like it's when you when you constrain when you when you have to figure out how to do with le- with less. I, mm-hmm. I think sometimes that makes the it better a better thing and. um you know, speaking of the special effects, one thing I want to mention was the uh, the sound of the of the laser beams from the alien ships is the was reused in Star Trek the original series as the uh, photon torpedo sound, um, oh, which is yes, yes, basically yes. hitting a cable with a hammer, you know, mm, uh, right. under tension. So yeah, it's <laughs> just I just like like I love that they reuse this stuff. You know, like you'd listen to like the the famous Wilhelm scream that you hear in everything, right. including Star Wars movies. <laughs> you know they. They reused the stuff that nothing went to waste. I just love that. Yeah. Well, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then I, I think there's some some level of it being associated with those things in our mind that almost has this kind of genetic effect. Right. Where you hear that sound and you know, oh, that's a science fiction sound. <laughs> you're right. Just, you're still listening yep. for it. Right. <laughs> so the next one I have to admit, I have not actually seen 
uh, Forbidden Planet. So I, th- I think this is a good mention, uh, a 1956 movie. And uh, from the pictures I'm seeing of it, it's one of those that has the really fun uh, costuming to it. Yep. <laughs> and the very famous Robbie the Robot, which is one of <laughs> yes. the great, the great classic robots of, of cinema. Uh, right up there with the uh, the droids from Star Wars and in the the robot from Lost in Space. I mean, it, it's a fantastic robot. Um, and this one, it has been so long since I've seen it. It's hard for me to to, to talk about it um, at depth. But this one is different from the others because it takes place in a future period. It is in the twenty mm-hmm. third century, but it really does kind of cover the same idea of you know alien, an unknown alien race that left behind its a legacy of these artifacts that affect us now and is having an effect on us. And, and it's that these, this another external unknown. And what, what is it doing to us? How is it changing us? Our, our exposure to this alienness. Um, and again, mm-hmm. more of those fears of the unknown, like you mentioned um, it, it, and it's very much a, it's a moody movie. It's very mm-hmm. much about atmosphere and uh intention and drama and not running around you know phasers or blasters or what 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 not that we love in our science fiction now yeah although i will say the props are amazing like <laughs> just from, yeah. the, from the pictures i've been looking at of it they're the the ray gun style where it's got like these uh it's almost like they took the piece off of a an old school telephone pole where yep. they had the the uh I want to say resistors, but that's not that's not the right word. It's the the conical uh, or, oh or the, the insulators, circle, uh, the insulators, yeah. the yeah. insulators. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. one. Yes, yeah, so they have the insulators, and it looks like that's what they're made made the gun out of. And that, that's I love that kind of stuff. Just the the weird bizarre design that they came up with that seems so bespoke, but actually like almost fits uh fits us, the science that they knew at the time, right? Of like right. how would you keep this electricity from bouncing back to the person? And so they like really put some thought into these things. Well that's the thing is they needed to be comprehensible to the audience. Like they needed right. to look at it and go, I believe that as a weapon. It couldn't be right too wacky or far out. And that's one of the great things that uh, with it. And the yeah. and the parts that they use were often just normal everyday you know, stuff that they had laying around that they could adapt. You know, famously, like in Star Wars, they they did that with the right. lots of they had old British Sten guns that turned that became blasters. And, uh, you know, we all know that Luke Skywalker's lightsaber was a a, a, a piece of a photography um, flash. You know, that's you take that back. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the famous fire spray was uh, the the lamp post had fallen outside of the of ILM and that's what they picked up and brought inside to make uh Boba Fett's ship. Right. So there right. You go. <laughs> sometimes that's sometimes it's you, you, you again you, you're limited so you do amazing things with what you can find. Right. Right. Yeah. I always thought Forbidden Planet was great, but it's I had the unfortunate uh unfortunate circumstance of watching it when I was older and I'd already seen Naked Gun and an airplane. <laughs> so Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen. it yeah. kind of ruined it for me. So oh, no. Yeah, it's hard to take those actors out of their space when they everyone change over the, whatever it was. If there was if there was, you know, one actor, it's Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Just yeah. do that one off for me. Right. Although although I tell you what, from looking at the pictures, Pierce Brosnan could take could play the mad scientist in that one uh oh, all day long. Yeah. Like he looks amazingly similar to the actor oh, right. uh, that's in that role. <laughs> Walter Pigeon, so, that's right. Yeah. Maybe maybe uh 
remakes in order. Here we go. <laughs> Let's they, re- do it. they remake everything uh, else. May as well. They, they do. Why not? Mm, yeah. <laughs> just keep the keep the original ray guns, right? <laughs> mm. um, so, kind of moving away from the external unknowns, I think the other one of the other big things that was happening was there was a lot of atomic testing that was going on, and uh, a lot of new fangled chemistry type things that were happening. Um, electricity was generally pretty scary to people as it was moving further and further into society in the way that we were using it. And so uh, there was a whole genre of fiction that rose up that was about industrial accidents causing something to happen. And so we've got a few, uh, I think, really good representative movies here. And we got to start with the the big one uh, because literally, it, yeah, I mean <laughs> the, the big one, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, we, you start with Godzilla, uh, and Godzilla was a '54 uh, movie, still in black and white, so you know d- didn't have to be, but but was, and was a Japanese movie. So this is probably one of the first really prominent foreign films to come into the states and kind of make its way through. Um, I don't know if you guys know this about it, but if you've seen the American version of it, uh, there is an entire American plot line placed on top of the uh, the Japanese plot oh, really? line for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, That's all right. the stuff, all the stuff with the the American general and how how he was involved and talking with everything, just in order to translate the movie, but also in order to to translate the sensibilities of the movie, uh, they they added this american plot line on top of it so if you get a chance to watch the original uh godzilla it's a it's a different movie and has a a slightly different feel to it where it's not as heroic uh it's much more kind of daunting like what are we going to do about this situation Mm. uh but the basic premise is that a lizard in the pacific is infected with this radioactive stuff uh that causes it to mutate and to become this gigantic uh lightning shooting uh monstrosity that destroys cities and comes up on the shores of japan and just starts rampaging (laughs) and it's kind of terrifying like it's really the thought of it is really kind of scary because there's nothing they can do to stop it no no human power uh can even begin to uh keep it at bay you know it's it's interesting because in the original like you mentioned Godzilla was a monster destroying, you know, like attacking people. It was not, it was bad. It was but not Godzilla, heroic. He was not a hero. He, he right. was a threat. And then eventually, like, like some sort of like wrestling figure, you know what I mean? We're a professional wrestler. <laughs> he, he does a, uh, a, what is, what else should we call it? A heel turn and becomes like the good guy fighting off other kaiju. You know, I just, I, it's because it became a beloved character in japan mm-hmm. i mean they, he's, he sort of became a mas- mascot for japan but i i, I think it's interesting because it's i think it's obvious that this represents the fears that came out of the nu- nuclear bombs at hiroshima and nagasaki the fears of you know science unleashed i mean this this, this whole mm-hmm. genre that we're talking about is you know scary science or scary scientists i mean that's a whole you know the, the list of movies that have ba- like mad scientists is you know the length of your arm and uh, and this represents, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the American version has that heroic plot line, whereas this is a much more from the Japanese point of view, much more like we're victims of this creature. And it's mm-hmm. and it's almost like the way that people, you know, the, the, the uh, Japanese psyche must have felt like after the after World War Two, 
and the effects of the nuclear, the, the atomic bombs uh, there. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I know, you know, Japan was the aggressor in the war and that sort of thing. But from the point of view of the of the Japanese civilian and the atomic bombing, that must have felt like, what have we awakened this beast mm-hmm. that is destroying our cities? You know, I mean, you can really see it there in uh, in in this the way the movie goes. So it's 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 kind of fascinating to see. Right. And it and it's it's a direct response to the testing that was going on in the Pacific at that time, too, where yep. it was very obvious what the U.S. was doing in testing more nuclear bombs because we had all these little islands that we felt like we could do it on. And and man, if if you haven't seen any of the footage of that, oh, definitely wow. go look up some of the, the history of the bomb because it's uh, it's amazing watching what these guys would do. They, they wore sunglasses, essentially, and they, they would be <laughs> so close to these nuclear bombs. And that's all the that's all the protection they had was just these sunglasses. Right. Uh, so we didn't understand. And, and I think the, the two responses were that complete complacence where it was like, eh, what what harm could it possibly right. do? And then the other end was this extreme like it can do incredible harm why are you doing this so <laughs> it's like yeah so for got yeah for for japan the you know they they knew what it could do and this is kind right. of this 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 film was kind of a description of see this is has consequences this is mm-hmm. yeah and and i think the um we can't we can't go too far into this without talking about the special effects of the man in the godzilla suit yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> that doesn't look like he can move very well but it goes around destroying those cities fantastic <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's I, I an iconic creature. I, I mean, that 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 look really of it, you know, and but it's yeah. it's limited by the fact that it has to be a dude in a suit. And so it has to have the mm-hmm. arms and legs to stand upright. Uh, I guess that, you know, the Japanese name is Gojira, not Godzilla, Gojira, mm-hmm. right. which is a portmanteau of the words for gorilla and whale, because they, apparently in the when they were des- initially designing it, someone came up with the idea of a, a cross between a gorilla and a whale, which. I really want to see that. <laughs> that is wow. a weird crossing. Wow. <laughs> why has this? Why has this film not been made? This should be a kaiju. Like this no should be kidding. one of uh, Godzilla's <laughs> enemies. That's right. Wow. Oh man! All right. So um, I think I think that that's that's a good one to start with. But then um, this is one that I really enjoyed. Uh, it, it's called the Blob, and it is a, a, a not a nuclear accident but a chemical accident gone wrong and it creates this thing this amorphous thing that is intent on just rolling around and consuming things and so it's kind of like an acid uh i don't know it, but it, anyone who's played dungeons and dragons this is a, a like a, a jelly and yeah. it's rolling around and it's gonna or gelatinous cube except that it's a blob and it's gonna roll around and eat things and that's kind of what it does and um i i've watched this movie a bunch growing up and i i didn't realize until much later that steve mcqueen is the the lead actor in this movie the teenager yeah. 19, uh, yeah it came out in 1958 and um He's not uh, this is before he really got well known for as the action hero uh, guy. But so it it is even at the time, I think it's what would kind of qualify as a, a B movie, like not really your oh, yeah. your highlight movie. <laughs> uh, but it's scary. Like, it's creepy. I remember watching this as a kid and, and thinking, like, what would you do to this thing? Like, it, it's it, again, the, the, the classic trope for these is it's indestructible. Uh, it's intent on destroying things and it has no mind that's discernible to us as humans uh which all of which are just 
very, very scary for right. us as humans. A mindless destructive force is one of the is one of our primal fears. Like it can't be reasoned with. It, you cannot understand its motivation. Yeah, it. I think that mm-hmm. you, it, you're right. It's that is one of that strikes right at the heart of of you know our lizard brain at the back of our head for right. scary things. Um, I mean, it's almost kind of campy when you think about it, like the blob. It sounds kind mm. of like <laughs> that's just silly. But when you see it, yeah, that's a whole. I mean, yeah, it can be a little creepier that way. You know, when you see consuming things, including people, mindlessly, just uh, and relentlessly consuming. Right, and and no way to stop it. I think that's the that's the scariest thing. Like all of our advances mean nothing compared to this thing that's right. that's out there. And it and it strikes at that existential problem that we have of of learning things about science. And I think this is. Uh, it's an interesting conversation that I have with my kids a lot of times because we'll learn about something new in the universe that can kill us. And it's, you know, eh, there's cosmic radiation. Yes. There's there's asteroids that will hit the planet. Yes. Uh, these, these things are out there, <laughs> you know, and is there anything we can do to stop them? No, not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, right. and that's, that's kind of where it is. Yeah. There's some warm milk. And, yeah. And as a parent, it's you like to comfort your children. But but there are times like that where you just kind of have to be honest with them and say, yes, but it hasn't happened recently. So, you know, we can't worry about it. And the other thing is, I as a Christian, I can say, I mean, all things work out for the will of God. I mean, God's mm-hmm. in charge. So if God wants to drop a giant flesh-eating blob <laughs> a little pennsylvania town that consumes everything or what what have you i mean that's i, I you know we're in the hands of god and i think faith mm. is is the sort of thing that gives you that assurance where you know i mean yeah you know we're not going to have giant kaiju coming out of the sea but yeah asteroids or other th- dangers and these come out of a time when faith was still important in society and I think mm-hmm. that was some of the assurance that people still had even then um, that maybe right. today people aren't equipped to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, in, in, but it's interesting that you, you don't see many of these kinds of movies coming out today, right? Where we have these indestructible forces. I mean, even Godzilla was like, it, it, it became kind of ridiculous in how beatable he was in right. of all things, the, the, the new reboot of it. At yeah. Least. So, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting thought to to go into. Um, so the next one we have on this this list is them with an yes. exclamation point, yes. uh, which is a 1954 movie. Uh, this one's one that I I remember seeing, um, and and you know it, it it's great. But I who 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 put this one on the I list? I put it on the list. Would, yeah. Oh, you guys got to your Yeah. All right. Do you want to you want to take it? Well, <laughs> I'll let you. Give what it I love about it. it is it's a it's about something that we all it's like something that's mundane ants ants are everywhere mm-hmm. they're you know they're all over the place and they're not a big deal you know but if you made one of them 30 feet long then it's mm-hmm. scary so and it's this yeah. idea of taking something mundane and just if you if you just change it enough it becomes a scary creature that intent on destroying like a, a a 25 i forget how big they were in the in the movie but if you a 25 foot long ant with with the the strength uh, you know, uh, multiplied by the same would be <laughs> nearly indestructible and nearly unstoppable. And uh, and in this one, it's because there are a bunch of ants 
that were irradiated by nuclear weapon, you know, testing or whatever it was. You know, and it's another nuclear monster. Um, and I think it's one of the first um, big, big bug films. There was oh, a yeah. mm-hmm. there was a spider one, like a tarantula one, and then they had other ones like right. that. Yeah, there was, a, there was a knockoff in 57 that I, I know fairly well just because of a Mystery Science Theater fan called Beginning of the End, which is the same thing except grasshoppers. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that would be <laughs> that just sounds awful. <laughs> well, it, it's Peter. It, Peter Graves is the lead actor, so you can't take it seriously. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, James Whitmore is in this one. That's a, James Arnaz. Yeah. It's got a, a pretty oh, good cast. James Arnaz. Yes, it's got, he's good. it's got Santa himself in it, um, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I think I think um I think these movies uh, they were they were great because they were campy, but then at the same time they were able to couch that uh kind of terrifying uh reality of w- what we're doing to the world and how we're changing the world. Before that was something that was on everybody's mind in a really big way. So yeah, uh, you know, kudos to these to these producers that that saw that opportunity and really ran with it. Mhm. All right. So last one in this industrial accidents and um, scary science is uh, honey. I blew up. The, I mean, of the <laughs> 50 foot woman. Yes. <laughs> it's definitely worth a mention. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's it's really campy. I mean, it really kind of plays up some stereotypes of uh, about women in the 50s and that sort of thing. But it's this idea of what if a person was made huge? How would we deal with that? You know, how would that person deal with it? What would it do to them mentally, uh, you know, uh, and uh, physically? And and it, I mean, I, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but I just thought it was kind of fascinating as an example of this genre of mm-hmm. what what science, scary science, can do to humanity, and it's yeah. it's a representative of that idea. And it's it's actually really. Um gender forward for its time period too which i thought was it's kind of an interesting look at you know at women and where they fit into society and then what happens if you give a woman power in that situation where she she has autonomy and can and can dictate the rules for herself right and and, and the way that it's dealt with too over the course of the movie is really interesting because they try negotiating with her because she's a human, you know, so mm-hmm. she should be able to be negotiated with, but they've made such a complete mess of it by the time they get to that point that she's not willing to uh, participate in conversations with them. Right. And that, and, and it's interesting to see like the, the autonomy that she still has and she's not a monster per se, but it is just outside of the bounds of what's allowed. Well, and I mean, it goes to the like women's empowerment as in its beginnings, because her motivation is she has, she's uh, got a philandering husband that she takes Mm -hmm. revenge on. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't want to give the, the uh, uh, plot, the, the, the ending, I don't want to spoil the ending of a 70 year old movie, but you know, that's her motivation (laughs) is, is the, it, it, She's made huge in the sense of she's given all this power to enact her mm-hmm. will. And so the, it, it does kind of reflect some of that aspect of society at the time, too, where the women's movement was just getting going and women's empowerment. Definitely. So I, I think that's that kind of covers those. And interestingly, those are all the the like 1950s. So so the. External unknowns, the industrial accidents, those were really uh, that early era of trying to 
wrestle with nuclear technology and and figure out how science because science was changing the world in in dramatic ways that we weren't expecting at that point and so you know pharmaceuticals were coming were uh, rising there was uh, this mass transit was happening you could fly places on next to no charge at all and and be there in no time Mm -hmm. so the world was really opening up in a very big way now (laughs) yeah (laughs) it would be nice if we could get back to that right (laughs) um and and so that's kind of i I think that's where a lot of that came from and then we move into the into the 70s uh and i want to talk about a a couple of these from the 70s and uh we'll we'll touch back further back than the 50s in in this group here but this is about the kind of evolutionary fears so we're starting to realize that um that the world's changing, that things are changing, but there's like a natural progression to it. And the idea of the Superman that kind of started with the, the German concept of the, the Ubermensch, the, 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 the superhuman person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, has moved into the, the ideas of science fiction that have come up and, and we get uh, some movies like, uh, well, we'll go back to the 30s first, because I think that's that's a good one to go back to. Uh, we'll start with the Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. uh, and which is a fantastic look at um, at, at a, a superhuman in the future. And so, uh, David, you brought this one up because and, and I think this was a great one to kind of uh, touch off on here. So do, do you want to talk about this one? Well, I mean, Flash Gordon's kind of a I mean. In one way, it was a major throwback, but on the other hand, it was kind of a leap ahead where, I mean, it was a quasi modern, modernish guy, but thrown into this, you know, other world where, you know, you know, an, an alien planet with uh, in their spaceships and uh, spaceships and rocket ships. But on the other hand, uh, there's also a lot of sword fighting. There are cardboard swords, but they were still, so you know, <laughs> they, 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 they really did the, they, these were these were serialized adventures. They weren't like these grand storytelling things. They were just little segmented adventures that were told at the beginning of every beginning of the real movie, right before the real movie happened back in the day. And but it it, it gave people it started giving people ideas about things like space flight and, and aliens. And it was just kind of it was just touching on on what could be out there in terms of adventure it didn't you know there wasn't always the you know there wasn't the the threat and the menace that happened in the atomic age per mm-hmm. se but except you know the, the campy there were you know all the villains were all played for camp and um i mean nowadays we like we like cringe at the cringe at the um cr- cringe at the special effects but they oh, yeah. were they were really trying to push push the, to you know really you know that this could be fun and an adventure yep. yeah back then. and you know, and I, I put on here uh, around the same time, there were, were these other uh, another series that was very similar. That was um, H.G. Wells Things to Come. Mm. And they were same kind of thing where it was these short little uh, cuts of uh, story that were that kind of were shown before movies. And they're all really interesting, too, because they fit this sort of like uh, idealistic future that that things are are. Uh, things are much better things are uh, are better for people but then also that they had like these undertones to them that uh maybe they weren't perfect you know everything was mm. nicer but there was also dangers in some of the things that we were exploring and so i i love those because i think they're really uh they're really indicative of like of that golden that pre-golden age sci-fi 
and then we get into the golden age sci-fi which is all the the kind of like uh industrial nuclear uh stuff and then we come back to these um to these 1970s classics that i think are really uh fantastic so um i'm going to start with uh logan's run on this one and this is one that i know uh, I should probably have my sci-fi card completely revoked <laughs> for never having seen this one. Uh, so I'm going to have to let you guys talk about it. <laughs> this is a very trippy 1970s, 1976 film. Um, it's so much an, a product of its era. You had the, so I, I feel like this era, you know, the evolutionary fears, it also in, encompassed this idea that we had the, we were, destroying our planet destroying our environment there was a lot of environmentalism this is the era in which we realized we needed to you know have clean water and not poison the atmosphere and a lot of these were also imagining that kind of future as well but this one mm -hmm. imagine this like utopian society where you know free love everyone was good looking and young and then as you dig into it so it's almost like um the lottery that the famous short story as you dig into it, mm -hmm. you realize th that utopia comes at a horrific price, which is that uh, we, we maintain the population and the consumption of resources by killing everyone when they reach the age of 30. So there are no old mm -hmm. people, only young people. And it's it's uh, this authoritarian government. And then you have the, these enforcers. And one of the enforcers is this guy, Logan. And he when, when they have a runner, someone who refuses to accept their fate. Uh, they have to hunt them down for the good of society. And so it's looking at this idea of, you know, when we we're because in the 70s, we thought we were going to run out of food and run out of resources, mm -hmm. you know, soon. You know, Ma uh, the Malthusians thought we were going to be all be starving by 1990. And and so it's, the people are kind of sort of confronting this idea of how how would a society deal with it? And they had a pretty scary uh face of it here uh, i thought that was fascinating that they said you know we, maybe we would have to kill people in order to to you know with populate that kind of population control so mm -hmm. fascinating yeah I, th I think that's one that um that even if you haven't seen it that it's it, it, the story rings rings through from that era and this this was an era where where there was a massive uh massive starvation happening throughout the world and some interestingly scientific advances about how to grow wheat in uh in better quantities with better quality mm -hmm. uh, were the things that saved the world and it, it really was a food issue there was a food food shortage shortage that ended up being solved by science which is uh as science fiction as you can get <laughs> and timeline wise I, timeline wise i can't remember if logan's run happened before or after the you know there was a real shortage in gas gasoline at the time it was after know. yeah it Okay. So seventy six. So the, it was just it was just after the uh, the OPEC uh, uh, shortages of the early seventies. So the idea of scarcity was probably really real to them at that point, right? right. To the audience. And so people had a, a life clock in their hand, and when it when it reached zero, that was when they had to die. You know that that, that sort of thing. And there's an interesting um, 2011 movie that sort of played on this concept a little bit called In Time, starring Justin Timberlake. About, oh my gosh! Yes, I forgot about that one. Yeah, where people where people had time is a limited resource, and people could spend their time in different ways. And the rich had more time that they could waste, and the poor had very little time. And you had this one rich guy who had all the time in the world, quote unquote, um, mm -hmm. who didn't want it, 
and uh, he ends up getting accused of murder and goes on the run and that sort of thing. But it's interesting that concept, the same, a similar concept of limited resources, limited resource of time in life and how youth is celebrated, but, but in a horrific way, you know, a mm-hmm. culture of, uh, that focuses on youth to the exclusion of the elderly. You know, I thought it was a fascinating that they, they made that movie like that. I forgot because that is because it's a time lit in that society. Time literally was money and everyone, yes. everyone stopped aging at, at 25 or 30 ish. Right. And, 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 and they had a timer built in on their arms that would just start counting down at that time. And you could keep refilling if you that time clock as you worked. But it got harder and harder to make up enough time. It's like crypto. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Yeah. It's like mining it crypto. crypto. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's almost that's almost exactly what mining crypto is. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of creepy. So in, in the same kind of theme, I, I, I wanted to bring up Soylent Green because yes. that's that's yeah, all yeah. that has to be mentioned. Um this Charlton Heston movie. Uh so we're gonna do two in a row for the Charlton Hestons here. Uh so we got Soylent Green came out in seventy three and set honestly, in the year twenty twenty two, by the way. S- <laughs> <laughs> huh. That's creepy. Uh, <laughs> well, I, and then I, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the product Soylent that has been out on uh, on the market right now. Do people not realize like what a marketing I've avoided that because of <laughs> yeah. I've avoided that I, because I, of that. I'm absolutely certain that the people that made it did it on purpose. Were well aware of what they were doing yeah. and why and why they were doing it because you, you can't not be and they, and they keep swearing that they that they didn't have any clue until someone told them and I'm like yeah sure you didn't whatever yeah right <laughs> but if if you don't know the famous line from Soylent Green right at the this is the one we're going to spoil the end on guys because if you if you talk about this movie you have to talk about the end of the movie and then kind of work your way backwards uh, the the whole whole world is starving and the very end of the movie is Charlton Heston being carried out on a stretcher and grabbing someone's arm and saying soylent green is it's people it's mm. people <laughs> right in his uh you know in his way and it's it's a really interesting look at at that absence of resources and the value of of human life and i i thought this one there was one really really deep scene in this one that that is kind of a throwaway moment and but it's so interesting where he's a police officer investigating a crime and he goes into this apartment and is talking to the woman in the apartment and realizes that she's furniture and begins talking to her in in a different way because he realizes that she is literally furniture that belongs in the apartment so whoever is in the apartment owns her and she is there as a piece of furniture in the apartment and she has to do this because otherwise she would starve. So there are people that are selling themselves into slavery because otherwise they will, they will die uh, outside of that economy. Yeah. And, and so they, it's, it's about overpopulation, which was a huge concern at the time. Like I was saying before with the Logan's run about l- lack of resources. And so the Soylent corporation is supplies all of the world's food. There are no more animals in the world or, or plants even, I think, or something like that, or food yeah, plants. Sure plants are minimal, minimal, yeah. Yeah, and they have a series of different pro- uh, wafers that are the world's food called Soylent Red, Soylent Yellow, and then the latest product, Soylent Green. And it turns out that because they, they just could not harvest enough, I guess, plankton or something that they, they claimed. There's the, plank, the plankton, like the, the, the plankton that they claimed to be harvesting it from, it all died out. The, right. The, the, mm-hmm. The ocean, the oceans were just too poisonous. So the point. last resource that they had available was people, and so they were harvesting 
people because that was the one thing that the world had in abundance. Um, and as you can see, like from what you were saying, Thomas was like treating people like furniture and treating them like food. And it shows the horror of a society that, that treats people as, as stuff, not as mm-hmm. human beings, not as creatures made in the image and likeness of God, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so in the end, our, our detective is the one who figures out that the soil green that people are riding to get a hold of to eat is, is made out of people that have been literally scooped off the street. You know, they, they, when there are riots, they have these big trucks with scoops that scoop up people and take them away. And unbeknownst to most people, they, they're turned into food. <laughs> it's really horrifying. Yeah. And it very like a really interesting movie though. Like it, going back and watching it, it, it doesn't fit any sort of anything that was going on at the time except to say that it was a science fiction movie and so it's a very classic science fiction and it's interesting that charlton heston kind of made a, a career out of these too like he he did a, a few of them that the were Omega really man was another Spain. one he did mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um and they they i don't know if that he was the only actor that was willing to kind of take on these roles or if he just got pigeonholed into them or what but uh you know to go from moses to uh so after yeah. ten commandments <laughs> you have to do something to break out of that I guess. <laughs> right i guess well he I did a lot of he was very busy in the 70s i mean he did these mm-hmm. he did um the another genre that was popular was disaster movies you know right. airplane crashes right. burning buildings you know the towering inferno you know all that sort of stuff the uh, what was the ship that flipped over? I forget which was Poseidon but, Adventure. Poseidon Adventure. That was a whole nother genre. It's not not science fiction, but a whole nother genre of the era. And he was in a lot of that mm-hmm. too. So, yeah. so you, you could say Charlton Heston was a genre. <laughs> yeah, so it feels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll move on to the to the other one that it that kind of fits this evolutionary fears. And this one's really a, um this is a movie that you, you could almost say breaks the mold. In its own way, similar to the way that Star Wars did, this movie uh, changed it a lot a of genre. Yeah. I- ideas. Yeah. yeah. And this is Planet of the Apes. Uh, so 1968, uh, Planet of the Apes. Again, Charlton Heston uh, in it. Really just Fantastic. such a bizarre movie. It's such a yeah. great movie, too, though. But, yeah. the end, but just like Soylent Green, the ending <laughs> is what right. ties it together. Yeah. yeah, I and and that's that's true. And this is one where I would I won't give away the ending to it. I, you, you, if you haven't seen this movie, it's definitely worth a watch. Right. Um, it's it's a man out of time. That's kind of the the premise of it is that it's he's been transported to this other place. A man that wakes up, a human that wakes up somewhere where he's not uh, reckon that he doesn't recognize. It's very strange and different from what he knows. And it's. Uh, all of the the humans are apes instead so all of the sentient species right are 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 now are have been replaced by uh these apes that are just like humans uh in in many ways and very different from humans in many ways and so the movie's kind of this exploration of uh what that would be and if if you've caught any of the recent planet of the apes you kind of know where where everything's going yeah uh but really start with this one and then work your way through the rest of them because it, it is a very interesting movie and it's in its own right and it's has classic. a lot of really yeah. great beats to it and was very, very ahead of its time in the way that it dealt with uh, with some of these issues. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty ape. <laughs> <laughs> Just you always have to like, quote Charlton Heston. Charlton, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, uh, the, the most quotable man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, so. and 
I I remember watching these. I loved these movies as a kid. You know, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. and like I mean, they got really kind of weird as the series went on. Mm-hmm. But I just I loved the concept and the idea of again we were exploring our humanity. What does it mean to be human, and how do we compare ourselves to the other animals that are sort of like us, like apes? We were mm-hmm. beginning to communicate, like you know, Coco the gorilla, we, they can do the sign language, and beginning right. to wonder what is what does it mean that these creatures are kind of like us and, and, and exploring that and how, how should we be treating them and how should we treat the planet around us? So I, I really like that. This does that ex- sort of exploration. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good. And, and I think that's, that's the one thing that I like about good pre star Wars sci-fi and that's, that's what we'll call it. And then we'll, yeah. we'll get to some of the ones that are post star Wars too, but the, the good pre star Wars sci-fi are the ones that, get us to ask questions about ourselves and to really start being introspective about what it means to be a human and uh, what we're doing to the planet, where we're going with mm-hmm. things. And and it's not necessarily trying to, to cast a particular answer, but just to open those thoughts and to get us to really dive into them. So uh, we'll move on to our, our next uh our next group which is kind of the so we've gone the evolutionary things beyond our control or the planet beyond our control into the tech that's beyond our control so the things that we're making that are actually outside of our ability to to keep them controlled and the the two that i came up with the, or the, two, the two that i think we came up with are, are really representative and, and really yeah. good um you have 2001 space odyssey yes which came out in 1968 and I hate that Jack's not here to say this one, but but Jack uh, filled me in and I had to go look this up because I was I was amazed by it. Um, This was a novel, but the novel was written in tandem with the movie. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. that the novel came out first and then the movie or the other way around. It was that Arthur Clarke was writing this novel along with building the movie with uh, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And uh Stanley Kubrick's amazing and this is such an incredible movie that the way that it's put together I and I've got so many stories that I could go into about this one just specifically it needs its own episode yeah I know right it's it's kind of kind of by itself but I the, the idea that technology might get away from us at some point and this is pre AI, uh, you know, this is 1968. So this right. was AI was something that really, really intense scientists were thinking about. But it was but, still just completely imaginary. It was essentially right. magic. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It was. It was magic. And the creepiness of the AI in this movie is just incredible. Well, that's the thing. This movie it starts out as an alien movie. You know what I mean? It's about like, mm-hmm. so you would almost say, oh, fear of the unknown. That's one of those fear. fear. But right. it really turns into a the technology. It's not really necessarily about the aliens that they are going to go see and the monolith. But the most of the movie is about this A.I. that cracks up, mm-hmm. you know, and what happens when you're way out in space all alone with a crazy A.I., which has become a whole genre of uh, movies and video games, you know, classic video games that we could talk about. And so like the 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 AI itself was so well done, Hal, because mm-hmm. it's that calm, creepy voice. What calmness. What are you, what are you doing, Dave? Don't do that, Dave. And it's so like it was not as if it was like yelling at him, you know? It was just like 
and it's disembodied and all you have is this light and um mm-hmm. it really it's it's sort of this ex- existential fear in a, in us again you know that 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 weirdness and for ev- everything i think people's reactions to ai and to our, you know artificial intelligence and all the things we talk about about ai today in 2022 a lot of it is layered on top of our reactions to hal and 2001 a space odyssey i would absolutely agree uh, 100% the, just the calculating nature of it um the, there are many 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 good science fiction stories written about uh the math that goes into deciding things and so you know i mean even going back to talking about like like logan's run you know it's mm-hmm. just it's just survival we need the human race to continue so we we pick an arbitrary age and just everybody dies at that point and right that's it you know and and that cold calculating ability of it and you see it kind of reflected in some of the modern science fiction movies just as a as a shorthand where you know marvel's uh uh the whole ultron uh, ultron yeah the thing is is really wrapped up in that cold calculating um artificial intelligence and it's almost expected at this point that that's what we think of ais right or or even if you just want to think of cold calculating math, let's let's stop half, let's wipe out half of the population of the universe. The, Thanos, <laughs> right? That cold right uh, utilitarian approach to things. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. Two thousand one. Uh, I'm making notes here. We're going to do episodes on some of these uh, stuff we're talking about because we really ought to talk about them at, at, at greater length than we have here. Yeah, definitely. And I, but I think it's it's this is one to go back and watch because it's, oh yes visually very incredible uh oh yeah the the soundscape is intense and and many of the things that you see in star wars wouldn't be without this movie having been done uh Mm -hmm. a lot of the ways that they dealt with things in space uh and how they moved and how they how they shot them with the cameras uh this is where it it really started up with Uh, it yeah mm -hmm. right um and then my other one for this is uh, the movie Westworld. Yes. <laughs> so this is one uh, came out in 1973. Uh, one of Michael Crichton's earlier movies. Uh, so maybe not what you would expect for Michael Crichton, but definitely what you would expect for Michael Crichton. Right, so right. It's 100 percent right. a Michael Crichton movie. But before he, you know, before he became what he was later. Uh, and if, if you've seen the TV show at all, then you kind of know where this movie is. Uh, heads where that where this movie yes. is leading toward but a lot more clothing but right it did start the trend of michael crichton with killer theme parks yes definitely <laughs> that's true that's that's very true and and i think that's that's kind of what uh, so the, the the two things that i think we're really afraid of with technology are one uh we're going to create something that outpaces us which is kind of the the 2001 uh, concept is that it's a, a thing that we don't fully understand that is better than us in many ways and then two that we're going to use this technology to kind of create an oblivion for ourselves where we are just using it for pleasure and uh escaping into uh, this other reality and then that other reality is going to not treat us very well <laughs> right it's almost like the dangers of treating technology frivolously and that it mm-hmm. will, there will be, um, there are consequences for not respecting technology. And that's right. almost what, what this, you know, because what happens is if you don't know, 
is it's a theme park where you have Western world, medieval world, Roman world. And in those worlds, you get to play act out whatever the, uh, you know, the, the genre is. And there are robots to play the non-player character roles. And the robots go haywire and start killing the guests. And how you, how do you escape from that? And it's, you know, they're relentless and they're following. I mean, it is a lot like Jurassic Park when you think about it. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the attractions get loose and start killing the guests, which is the shorthand. Well, what did Michael Crichton have against theme parks? That's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but who would you rather face, a T-Rex or a Yule Brenner? I don't know. I don't uh, know. <laughs> Yule is pretty terrifying in this. Yeah, yeah, oh, man, this I saw this as a kid. And, you know, just the, 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 the way that the robot just kept coming and coming and would not be stopped. It, yeah, it was pretty creepy. It was it was scary. Yeah. So yeah, definitely definitely good. Uh, I I think that the the best science fiction tends to have that scariness to it, where mm-hmm. it's it 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 forces you to feel uncomfortable, right? With, with you know with how comfortable you are, especially once you're around the things that are that are technology that you're using on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. All right, so so the last one here, I do want to bring up the the cryptids. I think that the monster horror genre yeah. and the the unknowns, but not from somewhere else, just kind of things that are outside of current science, uh, is is a really good theme to run with. And so the the one that I think it's a good encapsulation of it is uh, going back to the fifties for this one, uh, creature from the black lagoon. Yes, which is. Uh, a great one. I, Dom, I think this one was yours that you that you put in. You yeah. Yeah. It's not a creature that's like made from radiation or something. It's a it's a long lost, you know, uh, creature from, you know, the prehistoric era that is discovered in the depths of uh, the Amazon or something like that. Um, but it, it encapsulates a lot of that idea of that unknown uh the the what are we doing to the world around us the unknown it's in our own world our fears about that of what's what's just beyond the line the uh what you can see from the light of the campfire sort of thing uh right. that 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 idea but we we should also we can't talk about this without also talking about the special effects which is it was the first 3D movie uh i think i think it was the fir- very first 3D movie that was in uh, in oh, wide wow. release um I'd have to double check that. that. It. Yeah, it was filmed in 3D. They used a uh, gray polar. It's still black and white, but gray polarizing filters. And people were freaking out in the theater. People <laughs> oh, were like losing their bladders and like running, screaming from the movie because it was so real. I mean, we look at it as oh, so, how, how quaint, oh, how backwards those people were. <laughs> but you know, when you think about it, people just didn't like have. An experience of that. Now I put on an Oculus and I go, I stand in front of Darth Vader and I get you know the blob sweats because it it seems real to me there. You know it's just whatever <laughs> you're, it's what we're used to. So it was it made a huge uh, impact on people um, just as being a three D movie as well. Yeah, that's yeah, and it's I think it's really interesting because uh, this kind of movie only exists because science was closing off so many venues of discovery, right? Yep. Uh, you know, like like previous to the 1900s, previous to the 20th century, you really you could tell a tale about a wolf in the in the woods and people would be scared of it. And then you get into the 20th century and it's kind of like, well, no, that's that's just a wolf or that's right. just your imagination running away with you. I, I think my, my classic right now is I've talked to my kids about um, 
about where legends come from and and how people create these ideas of like demons in the woods and stuff. And you just look at an elk and the the fuzz that it has on its antlers when it starts tearing off and it looks like there's just skin and gore hanging everywhere <laughs> right. on these antlers. And so you can just imagine somebody walking out in the woods before they have the science to know about that and seeing that and going, what is that thing? It's horrible. It's terrifying. Right. And we didn't have flashlights. <laughs> up with a story. Yeah, you didn't have, you know, you just, whatever yeah. that was in the dark. Yeah. And then their eyes shine at you. It's just all sorts <laughs> of levels of scary, you know? Yeah. So, and that that's kind of where this kind of thing comes from. Is like we're closing off these venues of, uh, of things that it's an exploration. Like, like even now today, if you, if you had something like this, there's almost like a, a tendency in, in movies even to, show at least one person finding out how they can exploit this thing right right <laughs> they're like right. it's a discovery oh my goodness how can i make money from it like <laughs> aliens is a classic of them of the more modern genre right <laughs> there you go bingo so yeah that's um i think it's, it's a it's a neat niche for the science fiction because it only exists because science has pushed so much into that realm of well we understand it better now and right. so obviously this kind of thing would be very bizarre so before we before we wrap up entirely uh, one of the things i want to do is is talk about after star wars and i don't want to talk about the movies that take star wars as notes and do the incredible crazy uh special visual effects stuff but i want to talk about the movies that that we like that fit this more classic genre they may have special effects but the the big actiony story or the special effects aren't the, the main focus of the science fiction portion of the story and so uh, we can just really kind of quickly go through these and talk about why they're good and why they fit this uh, this theme uh, of it and one that I want to mention that's a, a kind of a, a lesser known uh, film to start off with is this one called Sunshine yeah I don't know that one it's a it's a really interesting movie. If you haven't seen it, it's about this. There There is a catastrophe and this group of scientists needs to deliver something to the sun and they have to do it as a, a trip themselves. They have to go themselves. They can't just send a probe because it's something that has to actually be done along along the way. And they load up on the ship and as a team are headed towards the sun and as they're getting closer they all begin to unravel like their their mental state just begins to kind of deteriorate and things start going haywire and the ship starts breaking it's, it's a, a really neat look at a mission that's obviously impossible obviously suicidal but at the same time these people have volunteered to to go on it and are trying to complete the mission and um fits this sci-fi genre of like what do we do against these odds that are beyond our control and can we hold it together well enough to complete that kind of a that kind of a science fiction mission so definitely cool. a good one to to check out if you if you get a chance yeah and lesser known it's a lot of lesser known actors i think that are that were in it although well like it's got watch. chris evans and michelle yo and benedict wong i mean oh yeah recognizable names yeah, I, I definitely recommend that one. Um, you guys want to grab one from from this list that was yours, and we'll just kind of go through and, and hit I'll them all that Gatt way. I'll go with Gattaca just because that was right. uh, co college. We had uh, uh, got to have premium cable for free for uh, through some package deals, <laughs> so I got to watch that a gazillion times. But just the con it's um, 
you know, the concept of people being perfect or, you know, engineer, or like, and engineering people to, uh, the main character is, 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 uh, is actually Im- quite imperfect, but has to fit himself into a perfect world. Right. And, and that's very, it's, that's a, I thought that's a very interesting concept, um, where just like everyone is, they've managed to, it's not not like Logan's Run where everyone's like perfectly young or anything, but they've managed to they've literally managed to try, try to engineer the flaws out of out of themselves. Eugenics, everyone, but yeah, eugenics. But but you know, but in most ways, people are just as I mean, they're just as flawed as ever. Uh, right, right. Because the the he uh, the main character Ethan Hawke is you know has many physical ailments, but but does very well at disguising them, and he takes the place of. This man who Jude Law's character who is who is physically perfect and has had everything going for him, but uh, but really just I mean he's you know he's in a wheelchair and he doesn't you know he doesn't want to live it. He's this perfect man doesn't want to you know almost doesn't you know he's he doesn't want to live anymore and he, so he's mm-hmm. he's using he's using Ethan Hawke to be him and keep him in in the life that he's accustomed to, but he's miserable. This perfect man is miserable. Mm. Yeah, and it really encapsulates the the fears of the late, you know, 20th century of, you know, the perfection of humanity and trying to perfect humanity through genetic manipulation. And what does it mean for, you know, discriminating against people and all that sort of stuff? So, yeah, it is it it really is a a product of its time. This was, well, last night I I saw this, you know, right along right along with Mr. Science Theater 3000. I. I saw. I got to see this movie on repeat right when I um, I'd almost broken my back, so I was on the flat on my back, watching shows for all summer. Oof! And the idea of being physically perfect and all that kind of stuff sounded pretty appealing at the time. <laughs> so this movie kind of stuck to me. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good. It's a really good deep look at um, at what what it means to have a perfect society and mm. the cost associated with that. Uh, a very very one scene kind of uh movie like it, it has very few setting changes throughout the course of the movie and and the ones that do happen are very impactful so uh lots of uh, lots of good cinematography lots of good act fantastic acting and a really tight script went into this movie so definitely recommend that one as a classic more classic sci-fi how about you, Dom? You got one on this list. That... So I wanted to talk about the uh, 2013 Tom Cruise film Oblivion, which is another one of these explorations of what does it mean to be human? So it takes place in our near future. Earth has been uh, nearly destroyed after a war with ETs. Most of humanity has moved to Titan. Uh, but there, this guy, Jack Harper. And the, he's helped by this other uh, woman. I forget the name, uh, Vicky, Vicka, uh, something like that. And uh, his job is to maintain these drones that are used uh, to fight against the remaining ETs uh, that are scavengers left on the planet, these aliens. And as you watch the film, you really get your perceptions, like the the assumptions that we start with are really twisted and turned around. I don't want to spoil it. But all your expectations and understandings really get flipped on their head. And and it's a really dystopian uh, kind of uh, a film. 
but it's a real exploration. Again, another one's explorations of what does it mean to be human? How, you know, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be me? And, and even more specifically, how do I define me and myself? Am I my memories? Am I the identity I assigned to myself? Am I the the flesh and blood that uh, that exists? Am I the material and stuff? It's so it makes it makes for a very interesting film in that case. I mean, it's not the the greatest film, but it was I I felt like it sort of represents that that classic sci fi genre. It's a good one. Yeah, I, um, one another one I wanted to bring up. This one's kind of off the beaten path. So let's let's do one more round of these because I think it's good to, to get as many of these out as we can. Uh, this one's a horror movie that is a really really brilliant science fiction horror movie but you have got to be prepared for a truly terrifying experience uh <laughs> it's it, it's called event horizon and um if if you haven't seen it it's <laughs> yeah it's just one of those it's hard it's hard to it, it's uh sam neill and and Lawrence fishburner in it and um it's a ship that has made the first uh warp the first like leap uh by folding space time uh was lost and has suddenly reappeared and so we're going out to investigate what happened to it and the discovery is that it went somewhere not good (laughs) that it didn't just fold space time but it really did a a much bigger job of uh going places that it shouldn't have gone and it's it's amazing because it's like it, it touches on all of those fears of the unknown that kind of push the limit of what is still science fiction and into kind of mystical fiction. Uh, but it's it handles it in a very interesting way and asks a lot of really good questions about what the limits we're willing to go to to advance science are. And so. I put it on here with with the caveat that you have to be in for a horror flick that's particularly gory and and really messes with your head Uh (laughs) by the end of it. Uh, So if you're in for that kind of thing, Event Horizon, very good movie for that. Cool. (laughs) So I'll mention one that we recently just had an episode on. In fact, I think it was last episode of this podcast called Interstellar, which uh, Matthew McConaughey it really encapsulates a lot of the 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 genre uh, aspects of this. The tech beyond our control, really, sort of evolutionary fears is really uh, the, that one. And it was a lot like two thousand one, except it's not really about technology, but it's about the the fears of a changing world. Um, but I also want to mention one: uh, a quiet place is a, is mm. because those are technically aliens. And it's a, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a small movie, and it really it is that you know external unknowns, these things that invade, mm-hmm. and how do we deal with it? How do we stay together? I love that movie. We did an episode uh, of this podcast on it, and it was such a fantastic movie. The uh, both both of them were good. The first one was the bet was really good. The second one was was good too. Definitely recommend those. David, do you have one more that you wanted to highlight from this list? I'm still. Recovering from Event Horizon. That was a rough one. Um, I'm I'm losing my sci-fi card on here. I, the uh, I have not I've I have not. I mean, con- Contact. Are we, um, Contact was on the list. Is that the the Jodie Foster one? That's yeah. the Jodie Foster one. Yeah, that was that was a good one. That it was. Uh, let's say not definitely not action oriented. Uh, but it was mm-hmm. just it was really. I mean, it was one of those 
intellectual ones where it was, yeah. uh, one of those ones to, to make you think like, did that really mm-hmm. even like, uh, did that really even happen? Cause they do, they did, um, they, 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 they get what they believe is a, is a, is a contact from, from outer space. And they go through all this stuff to make the next, the next, the next step to, uh, to make contact. And then it's kind of left up to, you know, I won't go into details to say what Jody, the main character experiences, but she she genuinely believes she experiences something amazing. Who's to say if that's what really happened? Yeah, right. It's that interesting cross section of faith and science, and mm-hmm. and they play that up throughout the movie very very well. Where it's uh, lots of questions about uh, the faithful, like the religious people of the age, being very against what she's doing, and then it turns out almost that same kind of feeling from what she has and uh, from the experience that she has with it which so. also uses the power of matthew mcconaughey if i remember correctly. right <laughs> <laughs> i believe so yeah well I, I think my favorite part of that movie is that they they talk a lot about the golden record which is the um the information that we've sent out yeah. uh, beyond yeah. our solar system now and it's it's basically a map of how to get to us who we are and uh how to speak with us in mathematical code uh that is understandable by anyone who can decipher glyphs like decipher visual uh cues right and it's such an interesting concept of us sending something out there about how to find us you know because we don't know what's out there and right. giving General them a map limitation. back to us might not, <laughs> might not be great but yep. yeah and on a record too right. <laughs> that's what i love yeah. it's like <laughs> very specific technology of a very specific time yeah, but they'll figure it out, right? They'll, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure they will. Uh, all right, so I think that that'll do it for us. Um, if if you have any other movies that you think of, uh, classic, classic style movies or classic movies themselves that you would like to chat about, definitely uh, contact us uh, by letting us know on the sh- um, sqpn.com slash secrets, or you can check out the StarQuest Facebook page and send us an email at secrets at sqpn.com and i want to add also uh check out a brand new we just started a new community discord at oh, sqpn.com slash discord join us here too we have a great community starting there and we can have a great conversation about this yeah lots of excellent discussions going on in that, in that yep. board too um, i like being involved in it. it's great yeah <laughs> Uh, before we close out, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of movies and TV shows, including Peter M., Carl S., Dalton H., Hen D., and James M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com give. So... Until next time, uh, David Hanlos, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of classic science fiction. No, 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 no. Oh, wait, wrong. No, the Klaatu Barada Nikto. That's right. And Dom Bettinelli, thank you as well. It's been great. And w- once again, I'm Thomas Senhero. Uh, thank you for listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows on StarQuest. <laughs>